After categorically dismissing the Kyoto Protocol last year, more than a few eyebrows were raised when the Bush administration unveiled a global warming plan of its own. The Bush plan differs somewhat from the floundering global agreement in that it seeks to make the entire planet into a smoldering fire pit. The Bush global warming plan will begin to superheat the world first by detonating all nuclear weapons in our oceans. Then, through a combination of giant oil fires, torching of forests and third-world dwellings, and a new Homeland Inferno project, the world's average surface temperature should approach 350 degrees by as early as this spring. The new super-hot climate will make outdoor cookouts affordable, accessible, and simple for everyone. Mr. Bush stated that he envisions, quote, a world where every nation has that great backyard barbecue smell, unquote. And while Mr. Bush's ambitious plan has its share of detractors, few can resist the allure of a sizzling Texas barbecue and a hickory smoke-flavored planet. Listen to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again, the circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up! <laughs> and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to your community spirit with Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. All right. Let's get into some happenings. I understand that today is June. Can you believe it's already June? Yeah. <laughs> Next week will exciting. be the beginning of summer. Wait. I think summer already started. It doesn't <laughs> follow the calendar. <laughs> yeah. That wild and crazy summer doesn't follow the calendar. Today happens to be Friday, the 11th of June, and today is Corn on the Cob Day. Mm. Pretty good. Yes, and tomorrow is uh, Crowd Nest Awareness Day and the anniversary of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. So hit home run tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Sunday is Children's Sunday and Multicultural American Child Awareness Day. Race Unity Day. So that's... It's the day of the races uniting. Hmm. There's a... What is it? Um, I can't remember the word I came up with. Um, I'll think of it later. All hmm. right. <laughs> okay. Well, Monday is Family History Day and uh, Flag Day and uh, Anniversary of the U.S. Army. <laughs> really? Yep. 
I wonder why they have them on the same day. Yeah, I wonder if they did that on purpose. Maybe that's why they picked Flag Day. Yeah. Next Tuesday is Husband Caregiver Day, Magnum Carta Day, Native American Citizenship Day, <laughs> Nature Photography Day. So I suppose you could take a picture of um, nature, but don't take a picture of a Native American because they believe that, you know, you take a picture of them, you take part of their soul. So please don't steal their souls. <laughs> Yeah, it's impolite to steal someone's yeah, soul. I think they have had their souls stolen enough. Now, this one, uh, I guess you don't necessarily have to wait for Thursday till this, but recess at work day is on Thursday. All right, let's leave. <laughs> <laughs> let's go, okay. Oh, wait, this isn't work. This is fun. This is play. <laughs> uh, UN day to combat desertification and drought. That's, that's a good day. Let's, let's have one day for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's also Watergate day. <laughs> what? <laughs> every year we have to have another Watergate? Is yeah, that the no, idea? Maybe it's every year we need to find out what Watergate's currently going on. Like, today to investigate the politicians. <laughs> Just one day? Oh, every day we should do that, but some people forget. So oh. at least do it one day a year. All right. So, um, the Rice and Spice Dinners, International Slow Food Dinner, um, tonight will be the last of the scheduled main chefs. Yes. But rice and spice will happen every Friday. Tonight is Muslim American goodness. I like that. Um, the only other scheduled one, of course, we'll try to do a 4th of July because all the international people who come to the Rice and Spice International Slow Food Dinners, they're like, why don't you guys do American food? <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know what constitutes American food. <laughs> but 4th of July we'll do it. I guess apple pie and... Uh Pro- probably like, you know, this Apple is... Apple pies from Germany, I'm sure. <laughs> probably hot dogs, too, or hamburgers um, or something. Well, as long as you say hot dogs, not frankfurters, then <laughs> that is American. Yeah. But uh-huh. hamburgers are definitely from Hamburg, Germany, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of Germans in the U.S. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's what I think of as Fourth of July food, is like a cookout food. Like, you know, I guess apple pie, because it's a stereotypical American food. and Only Americans would... We, we are rich enough to have and cook outside. <laughs> you know, that was the whole thing. You move the toilet inside, and then you cook outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you swap it. So We um, have strange ways. <laughs> please email us um, and let us know what you think is American food. Info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Hmm. What else we got? All right, let's see. This, this is an exciting one. A uh, tour of Guy House and Labyrinth Peace Garden. That's coming up tomorrow on Saturday uh, at 2 p.m. Have you ever wondered what used to be in the garden before the labyrinth or where the design came from? Maybe you've wondered about the design of Guy House or just why and how the pond was built. Well, this is going to be an exciting tour. It's going to fill people in on the details about the labyrinth, the Guy House, and Bob Swenson, who had a hand in the design and construction of the uh, the Labyrinth and the Grounds uh, is going to be leading that tour. So it's exciting times. I, I know there's there's all sorts of little details I may have heard in passing, but it'll be fun to be there and like learn the history of the Labyrinth and the Guy House. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember hearing that there was, you know, the original Labyrinth had a dome on it. Yeah. That was like a drug rehab center. Yeah, Synergy. Synergy, okay. There, there was Synergy there. <laughs> yes. So, um, so tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. at the Labyrinth Peace Garden, which is 
right by the Guy House at 913 South Illinois in Carbondale. A few other things happening on Saturday. I don't know if you're aware, there's this great happening that we have every Saturday during the summer called the Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. This is a tremendously wonderful chance to get wonderful, wonderful foods, flowers, herbs, all kinds of locally made, locally grown stuffers. And we now have two farmer's markets. We've got the main farmer's market, and then we have the downtown grower's market. Both of these are from 8 until noon. Mm -hmm. The earlier you get there, there's like blueberries now. (laughs) There were strawberries. Pretty much strawberries are done. But blueberries are now coming on strong. Get there early to get your blueberries, because they're gone usually by 9.30 or so. So. Yeah. Eat local early, eat local often. And then Mm -hmm. after the farmer's market, the Vigil for Peace, every Saturday from noon until 1 p.m., at the corner of Maine and Illinois in Carbondale, sponsored and brought to you by the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois. Hmm. Now then, Saturdays are always busy days. Uh, Also on Saturday is the Habitat for Humanity Workday. That's always at uh, 8 to noon on Saturday mornings. And the current site that they're working on is 406 East Burke Street in Carbondale. Yeah, right here in Carbondale. They have them all over Southern Illinois, but this one's close by. A chance to build a house for yes. someone who <laughs> needs a house. A chance to learn also about building a house. So yeah. You, know. you can learn what uh, soffit and fascia are. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just make up words? <laughs> yeah. Make believe words. You know. <laughs> um, also at Guy House on Saturday, there's a new group meeting uh, every 6 p.m. on Saturdays called Bitch and Stitch. That <laughs> um, pretty much explains the whole thing but I could explain it in more detail. A chance to talk and make stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So bitch and stitch. Yeah, I get to talk and make stuff. Yeah. It's pretty fun from the sounds of it. (laughs) Um, I cannot imagine you doing either, bitching (laughs) or stitching. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm good at bitching. You can do the stitching. (laughs) Okay, and uh, speaking of fun going on at the Guy House, uh, I just heard about this. This is something pretty new going on. It's the uh, Carbondale Swings. It's uh, Sundays at 7 p.m. Uh, it's uh, swing dancing over at uh, Guy House. So if, uh, I don't know all the details, but if you love to swing dance or if you're new to it and you want to hang out with people who are learning, you know. Well, there, we have the luck of having someone who's pretty good at swing dancing in town and who is pretty, um, I don't know, good at teaching also. Yeah. And so this is um, going to be every Sunday at 7 o'clock. So hmm. um, I went the first week, and it was hot and sweaty and so much fun. <laughs> it's like, da 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 da, da. I, I forgot how. Yeah. It's, I've never actually done it before, but I've seen people swing dancing. It's very lively. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Extremely lively. It'll wake you up. Yeah, so bring your bring your um, favorite electrolyte solution in a water-based something. Yes, to keep you hydrated. So let's see, are there any, any happenings going on uh, next week, for example? There, uh, there is, but I skipped uh, Sunday. There's actually going to be some type of play. Performed by the Young Friends of the Southern Illinois Quakers. Um, all I've got is it's called Bartram's Flower Performance. 
That will be Sunday at 11.30 a.m. at the Guy House Interface Center. The Life and Times of John Bartram, Colonial Botanist, again performed by the Young Friends of the Southern Illinois Quaker Meeting. So, Hmm. Good times. And this year, I actually remembered to put it on the calendar. I usually forget to actually mention it on the show. But the Midwest Renewable Energy Fair, this is where I go to get re-energized and meet with like-minded people from all over the world. Um, They've been averaging about 25,000 people in this little town of 300 Mm -hmm. every year. Um, I just try to imagine, you know... 25,000 people coming to my town of Pomona. <laughs> so it's like the uh, the Woodstock of the renewable energy. Uh. Um, <laughs> I suppose so, but Woodstock didn't have over 200 workshops having to do with sustainable living. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of music. There is food. There is um, a beer tent. I mean, it is Wisconsin. There's <laughs> a beer and cheese tent, you know. Um, but the primary focus is, well... I guess the primary focus is fun. <laughs> I mean, people do come there because um, the whole family can actually have fun. They have a, a kid's tent, just games and music just for kids. They have an educator's tent, you know, just learning workshops and stuff for educators to bring the information back. Yeah. And yeah, it's just o- wh- over 200 workshops. I mean, consecutively, sometimes there are as many as 15 workshops going consecutively. <laughs> yeah, so... Sounds like they have everything under the sun for people inter- interested in renewables. Yeah, I mean, stuff from <laughs> um, stuff from organic gardening um, to, you know, rainwater collection to, um, you know, the federal policy on renewable energy. So it's, uh, you know, every aspect pretty much you could possibly think of. And if they haven't thought of it, they'll have it in a workshop next year. Cause, but... <laughs> um, and... You don't just get to go to these workshops. They have the display set up so you can see all the equipment in operation. I mean, it's a 25-acre renewable energy mecca because they have all the stuff set up that you can see it and, you know, party under it and the whole bit. So (laughs) it's my chance to get re-energized. And, of course, first day of summer, one year it was like bitter cold and slightly actually snowed in up there. (laughs) But you, no matter what, I go swimming on the first day of summer up there. So yeah, <laughs> I've got a, a spring-fed lake that I go to. I don't know, glacier-fed, spring-fed. All I know is it's cold. Cause, yeah, so. It'll cool you off on a, on a warm day or a cold day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that is next weekend, June 18th through the 20th in Custer, Wisconsin. If you would like to catch a ride, you can call 618-893-1717. Advanced Energy Fair tickets, home tour tickets, mass transit bus tickets, and reservations for camping are all available online at the-mrea.org. And if you miss anything we talk about on this show, we actually do have a weekly newsletter that we send everything we talk about out. But you have to sign up for it. We don't actually send it very well, you know, brainwave. <laughs> yeah, we try with the brainwaves, and most people can't get it that yeah, way. Yeah, we try with the brainwaves, but we <laughs> definitely do it with the radio waves. But if you want the email wave, <laughs> you know, you have to sign up for that. So yeah. email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org. 
Oh, and mine is uh, treesong at treesong.org. And we will be right back with the news. Who's to blame for the golf oil gusher? We break it down. Break it, break it, break it, break it, break it down. Break it down. Break it down. Who's to blame? The blame game. Who's to blame for the golf oil gusher? We break it down. We know there's a lot of blame to go around for the ongoing disaster in the golf. In the weeks since the... In the weeks? Or almost the months. Right? (laughs) In the weeks since the Horizon rig first came unglued. That's right, unglued. All the principals in this mess have taken turns pointing fingers... Well, at each other. But people don't realize when they point it at each other, three fingers are pointing back. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> now it's our turn. Grist applied their highly scientific, whose fault is it really, assessment method. The results are in, and the proud winners are BP. Uh-huh. BP comes in at the top. With 37%. That's right. Top the BP topped the chain of command in the deep water horizon rig. They took risks to lower costs, cut com- corners on testing cement, failed to implement safety measures like an acoustic switch, misled about its ability to prevent spills in deep water, overruled crew objections on the day of the explosion, grossly underestimated the rate of the spill. Yes. That's oh. right. The rate of the spill is probably six times the Exxon Valdez spill Every day. Yeah. Uh, I'm still somewhat skeptical about the accidental nature of their underestimating, but even if it was purely accidental, it's still their responsibility. Yep. (laughs) Who else is responsible? Yeah, there's also Minerals Management Service, uh, 11%. They've been talked about a little bit in the media, but it's probably not as much as BP. They've got a long history of a cozy relationship with the oil and gas industry, including a busy revolving door. A cultural, a culture of ethical failure, according to the De- Interior Department's Inspector General, including scandals involving sex, drugs, and gifts from regulated corporations. So in other words, you know, Mineral Management Service is supposed to be out there regulating BP and other people, uh, being sure that safety measures are taken. But it's that they kick back, get some sex and drugs and gifts from these companies and... And that, that's enough to assure them, to comfort them, that there's no danger. I mean, they actually let oil companies evaluate their own performance and yeah. turn, turn in reports in pencil, yeah. which staff workers then traced over in pen, <laughs> you know, because it had to be in pen, at yeah. least. I mean, come on. So, so BP, how do you think your safety standards are? Oh, we think they're pretty good. Well, that's good enough for me. Actually, BP has one of the highest safety standards of any of the companies <laughs> out there. Yeah. I mean, BP is the greenest oil company. They just happen to screw up the worst right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the rest of them, there's oil spills happening and have been happening, I mean, all over the world. And this one they're just focusing on. I mean, Yeah, because it's big. <laughs> I mean, in Nigeria, they've been, sp- you know, spilling oil for 20 years. I mean, yeah. But nobody pays attention because it's Nigeria. Yeah. So, all right. So, so far, we've got BP, 37%, Mineral Management Service, 11% responsible. Barack Obama, 
9% responsible. Failed to make sweeping changes across the Interior Department and the Minerals Management Service specifically. Though, it was clear from the start that he, of his tenure that the agencies badly needed reform. Why did they need reform? Well, because Bush and Dick Cheney, 9% responsible. <laughs> Pushed more and more and more drilling, offshore, onshore, everywhere. Stuff, staffed the minimal management service with industry-friendly cronies and allowed it to become a candy store for oil and gas companies. Failed to even reform MMS even when corruption scandals erupted. All right. Hmm. So, Brock is as responsible as Bush and Dick Cheney. 9%. Hmm. Yeah. Who else is responsible? Congress, 5%. Uh, they've got weak oversight of regulatory agencies like MMS and failure to require cutting-edge safety measures such as acoustic switches, ongoing support including tax breaks and incentives for offshore drilling, insufficient support for renewable sources of energy, uh, failure to pass effective and meaningful legislation to reform energy system. So, yeah, they I mean, they the MMS is out there allegedly... Uh, keeping an eye on things, and Congress takes this, took the same attitude toward them that they took towards the industry. It's like, well, I'm sure they're doing fine. You know, they're doing nice work out there. We've sent some of our buddies out there to work for MMS, so I'm sure everything's okay. We don't need oversight. Are you a politician? <laughs> I think you've just become a politician, Tree Song. I'm listening to you there. To my, my rhetoric? <laughs> yeah, you weren't being sarcastic enough. You were being very, very clear and honest with your um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um who else is responsible well transocean transocean 2% in charge of the operation of the rig and halliburton 3% possible contamination of the cement used to seal the well but who is really responsible well bp yes they're responsible 37% but who's really responsible? The rest of us. That's right. 22% of us, or 22% responsible. We drive, we fly, we buy gizmos and food shop shipped long distances. We consume petrochemicals via our clothes, furniture, gadget, painkillers, cosmetics, magazines, and meals. And we don't fight hard enough to fight the system. Hmm. We are responsible yeah, At least gotta, 22% for yeah. this oil spill. And I think we've got to take responsibility. <clears throat> I was saying earlier, and uh, we had a, a meeting to try to figure out local things to do in response to the oil spill. And um, we talked about some things like holding BP responsible and talking to legislators about doing that. But there's also the whole issue of our responsibility in terms of what we consume. You know, if we if we do all this driving and all this eating food that's from thousands of miles away, then that's that oil is going to be in demand still. But if we start eating local, if we start using public transportation, bikes, like try try to get off get off the sauce, you know, get off the oil. <laughs> then, uh, Are you addicted to the sauce of oil addiction? Yeah. No. Not even a little bit. See, yeah, I totally didn't drive to the radio station this morning. <laughs> I mean, it's easy for me to try to, in my mind, disclaim responsibility because I do a lot of walking, but I eat foods that have been shipped here from California, from South America, you know. So trying to eat local, you know, I'm, I'm consuming that oil, too, even if I'm not driving. The food is driving to me. Yeah. 
I actually, it's been one of the hardest things for me to do, but I have almost quit eating bananas. <laughs> I love bananas, though. And, yeah. and drinking orange juice. I mean, it used to be something I did every morning. I'd drink a glass of orange juice and eat a banana. But, I mean, if they're coming from halfway across the world, I'd, you know... <laughs> yeah, we need our greenhouse to, <laughs> to grow some bananas. <laughs> All right. We are... Let's save the world. How could we do that? <laughs> uh, I know how. Video games. What? <laughs> really? Yes, yeah, so that's my solution to everything. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, yeah, I've... I've I haven't seen this report, but uh, I've heard about this in, in passing. Uh, but Forbes magazine reports on a new breed of serious games that is educating gamers about environmental issues and encouraging them to donate to eco-friendly causes or even to get off the couch and take real-world action. Serious game designers say the big breakthrough came when they realized games had to go beyond entertainment. Quote, I've grown up with games and I've seen how powerful they've been, says one designer. To think that the potential is just left to being entertained would be a disaster. Now, th this reminds me of, uh, there was a, a game I played in the, uh, in the 90s called Ultima. It was a series of games, and it, their creator had a similar idea where he realized, I'm spending all this time, like, you know, inputting data into people's heads as they play these games. Why don't I try to put something meaningful in there instead of just, you know, so, so he, he had his own take on that, but now modern games are doing, like, environmental messages... Um, there's Can you actually think of any games? Um, well, there's. Uh, I wanted to mention there's. It's more independent games that's doing it. Hopefully, it'll get mainstream eventually. But uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the network. It's like the so the Social Games Network or something. I'm on an email list of a. Well, uh, if you would like to, um, this article is from Forbes magazine, and if you would like to read the whole article, you're going to have to get on our news list because, you know, it's way too long to mention. Yeah, way too long to do on the radio. But Social Issues Games, that's the name of the email list. And um, if you are somebody who likes to learn, have you ever did freerice.com? <laughs> it's literally like, you know, they have uh, word games, they have math games, they have language, learn, learn language. And every time you get one right, they give a grain of rice to someone who's hungry. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen that. You know, or someone who needs food, so... I really like that one. So there's also a game, uh, a force more powerful, I believe it's called. It's it's based on a book about nonviolence, and it's this game you can play where it's like a strategy game, and you're leading nonviolent campaigns. So my company, Advanced Energy Solutions, um, June 4th came and went, and we almost forgot to say happy anniversary to ourselves. <laughs> I've actually been installing solar full time 11 years now. That's and, pretty exciting. Um, this radio show started about the same time, so we're going to have to pick a date that is our anniversary. Because, <laughs> I mean, I would say probably I started doing the radio show like July, but because um, I remember talking about Y2K. <laughs> yeah. I, rem I remember yeah, making fun of Y2K a lot. <laughs> and back then I had a two-hour show, so I could talk for a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So did you think the world was actually going to end on no. Y2K? <laughs> I actually did buy a big pack of toilet paper, though. <laughs> Just to be sure. You know, well, I mean, that was the only thing I actually did buy. <laughs> but, you know, really big packs of toilet paper are usually cheap toilet paper. Yeah. I regretted that for a few months. I bought, I think, maybe half a dozen cans of food, just just in case, you know, <laughs> the power went out for a few days. It's like... <laughs> 
So, um, last article? Uh, let's see. Oh, sustain about sustainability? Yeah. Sustainability is the next big business megatrend. Uh, environmental issues are emerging as the next business megatrend, with thousands of companies pouring resources into energy efficiency, pollution control, and sustainable business techniques. Uh, right, David Lubin and Daniel Esty of the Harvest Harvard Business Review. The Harvest. That's Harvest. Good, that was a good one. <laughs> the unintentional pun there. <laughs> but, but this this exhaustive account, uh, they examine the factors that fuel the shift, and they set out the key steps that companies need to take to stay ahead of the curve. So that's pretty exciting. People in Harvard Business Review starting to think about sustainability. And if you would like a link to the complete article, again, info at yourcommunityspirit.org is our email. Send us your email, and we will put you on our newsletter and send it out, you know, basically what we're talking about here. You actually don't have to listen to us. <laughs> you know, we could just email it to you, but I think the listening part is more entertaining than you reading it. Yeah, so. the, the, the email has the info, but we provide the infotainment. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, we will see you again on the radio. I personally won't. I will be up in Mid Midwest Renewable Energy Fair. Yeah, I'll be I'll be here keeping things going on the radio show. Um, in years past, I actually have called in. Unfortunately, I probably won't be able to call in because I'm doing a workshop. Right, I'm teaching a workshop about living off grid. So, mm -hmm. I think right at that moment, it's either at ten or eleven. So yeah. either way, I'll be kind of rushed. So, all right, we'll see you again on the radio. Hopefully, every week at this time. This is Ord Energy Mon. Reminding you to, well, enjoy summer, I guess. Yes, enjoy summer. It's uh, getting warm out there, but it's still beautiful.